John chapter 1, beginning in verse 19. Now this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? And he said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, No. And then they said to him, Who are you? That we may give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? And he said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. As the prophet Isaiah said, Now those who were were sent were from the Pharisees. And they asked him, saying, Why then do you baptize if you are not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? And John answered them, saying, I baptize with water, but there stands one among you whom you do not know. It is he who is coming after me. Um, I'm sorry. It is he who coming after me is preferred before me, whose sandal strap I'm not worthy to loose. These things were done in Bethabara beyond the Jordan, where John was baptizing. The next day, John saw Jesus coming towards him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who is preferred before me, for he was before me. I did not know him, but that he should be revealed to Israel. Therefore, I came baptizing with water. And John bore witness, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and he remained upon him. I did not know him, but he he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, Upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining on, on him, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. Again, the next day, John stood with two of his disciples. And looking at Jesus as he walked, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him speak, and, and they followed Jesus. We look here, and we, we, we see the Apostle John giving us, once again, reasons to look at and to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. To believe that Jesus is God himself, that he is the Messiah, that he is the one who had been prophesied for all of those centuries, even millenniums, as far as the one who was to come. We see a man here in the person of of, of John the Baptist. Someone who, as we look upon in scripture, we see him as someone who was just an incredible man, but one in whom pointed Completely unto Christ. We, we, we live in a time where even within the church, you have those that would be looked at as, as celebrity pastors. Um, those that, that we would look on and, 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 and look so highly upon. Um, I think of, of a conference that I was at where Alistair Begg was speaking, and this was probably 15 years ago. And Alistair Begg is a well-known pastor. Um, and he's at this conference speaking and, and, and talking specifically about this issue with pastors. It's a pastor's conference. He's speaking to pastors and emphasizing that it's not about the pastor. It's not about a celebrity pastor. It's not about what people think of us is pointing them to Christ and for us not to make much of 
of pastors. And he, he, just, he, he preached an incredible sermon, but strictly speaking on that subject. And I, I was sitting behind where he eventually came and sat down. And when he was done preaching, I, I remember just the, the, the entire crowd. I mean, it was a couple thousand people that just stood up and they were cheering and they were clapping. And he, he was sitting there in front of me and I could see him just shaking his head and he just said, they didn't get it. Here he just preached his heart out as far as don't, don't do that. But our, our natural tendency is, is to do that. We go to conferences as, as pastors sometimes and you, 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 you hear them. And I'll tell you, like, I remember being at, at a conference where the lineup was, was people like John MacArthur and John Piper and R.C. Sproul. And these guys that I, I look at, I, I just I, I love their preaching. You, you hear them preach sometimes and you just think, like, I don't know that I've ever preached a sermon. I mean, they, they, they just, they preach with, with, with just so many years of experience and just the anointing and their knowledge of God's word. And we were at a conference where they all spoke and then there was a man named C.J. Mahaney that was to come up to speak. And he got up there and he's like, I'm just the ordinary guy. I'm like here, I'm like, I'm like the ordinary pastor. You've had like pastor after, I mean, John MacArthur is like a fighter jet. He makes this loud noise into the microphone of a fighter jet. I'm not going to attempt to do it, but he just makes this, this noise of a fighter jet. He just, man, that sermon, you know. John Piper, you know, and he makes the noise again. Fighter jet. R.C. Sproul, and he just does this noise. Fighter jet. And he goes, you got me now. And he's, yeah. he's like, I'm just trying to get air. I just want to get air today. And anybody that was sitting there was looking, going like, man, I'd hate to follow those guys. Because our tendency is to look upon people that, that are well-known or that are highly respected and to esteem them. I was at a hotel and um, I'm looking at this guy and I'm thinking like, hey, I know you. I know you. And I walked by a couple times just like, he's going to say like, oh, Kevin, do you, you know. Because I'm looking at him like, I know you. And so I Kind of made eye contact with them. He did nothing. Like, how does he not remember me? I know him. And it was Matt Chandler, pastor out of Texas, well-known pastor. And he didn't know me. I just watched him on screens at conferences and, and, and saw him. And so in my mind, I thought, like, surely he knows me. But we look upon people and we see them and we, we esteem them so highly. You have John the Baptist here. And... Here's this man where Israel hadn't seen a prophet for over 400 years. And the Old Testament had prophesied of him for, for centuries before. His birth was one in which it was miraculous. Being that his parents were, had been barren all of those years and now they were, were told well advanced in their years. He had a miraculous birth. We're told that he was filled with the Holy Spirit while he was still in his mother's womb. He's the one in, in whom, just being in the very presence of Christ, he, he, he leapt in his, in his mother's womb. He ate locusts and wild honey. He wore camel's hair and a leather belt. And he had just quite the following, baptizing um, countless people. And chosen to be the one who would baptize Jesus. The creator of the universe, Christ, said, 
Assuredly, I say to you, among those born of women, there has not risen one greater than John the Baptist. But he who's least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. He went and preached. We come to this particular text, and we know who John the Baptist is, but here there's these priests and Levites that come from Jerusalem, and they ask him, Who are you? Who are you? And as they asked him, he confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I'm not the Christ. Here they're coming to him, who are you? They're thinking, are you? Are you the Christ? Are you Messiah who is to come? Immediately, no, I'm not. I am not the Christ. Again, they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? And he said, I am not. We looked in scripture and we we see that there's prophecies that were given of of Elijah who was to come. Um, In Malachi 4, 5, it says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And so they're looking saying, Are you Elijah? We see in scripture that that John the Baptist came in the, in the spirit and the power of Elijah. In, in Luke one seventeen it says, um, He will also go before him in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to, their children, to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just and to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. He was going to come in the spirit and the power of Elijah, but he's just being honest saying, like, I'm not Elijah. We find later that Elijah will come in the end times. But he's saying, I'm not, I'm not him. Are you the prophet? And when they refer to the prophet, they were talking about the prophecy that was given of one that would come. It refers to it in Deuteronomy 18 and verse 15 through 18, where, just looking at it briefly, it says, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your midst, from your brethren. Him you shall hear. And it goes on to describe him. So they're saying, are you the prophet? And his response is, no, I'm not. And so they say to him, well, then who are you? That, he may give an, that, they, that we may give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? Brings us to some application this morning as far as, and who are you? Who are you? Whoa. What do you say about yourself? Our tendency is to describe ourselves in certain ways in which we might be thought much of. Our, our tendency is to identify ourselves in a, in a certain way. We talk about that um, frequently with, with people as far as your identity. Pastor Jim Hendrickson is a medical doctor. And there's times where he has different hats on, whether it be he's, he's a pastor here at the church, but he's also a medical doctor. And we, we, we talk about that identity. When you've been a medical doctor for so many years, your tendency is to think, well, I'm a doctor. And we've talked about, like, no, you 
you're, you're a Christian who, who also happens to be a doctor, who also happens to be a pastor. For people just looking around the room, you have Andy Guastafaro, professional, was a professional soccer player. His identity is it, hey, I'm Andy Guastafaro, I was a professional soccer player. No, you, you're a Christian. You're a child of God. You've been saved by him. You also happen to have been a professional soccer player. You could go around the room. I went to this school. Or I do this career. I'm someone who identifies myself as I'm, I'm a contractor. I'm a dentist. I work at this company. And our, our tendency when we say, what do you say about yourself? Our tendency is to say, this is who I am based on where I went to school or what career I have or who I'm married to or whatever it is, like you identify yourself like that. Here you have John the Baptist. What do you say about yourself? His response is, I'm the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. As the prophet Isaiah said. His response is, I'm, I'm just a voice. I mean, he, he could have said, well, I was born miraculously. I, I was right there when the Messiah came. Was, was, Messiah was in the Virgin Mary's tummy. And when he came into the presence of my mom, I, I leapt in her womb. I, I'm the one that I got... I got all these people following me. What, what do you mean, who, who are you? I mean, look, I, I got all these people following me. I'm, I'm baptizing people, and here's all the things that I'm doing. He doesn't bring up any of his credentials. He doesn't say my father was of that priestly class. I, I also am, am, am a part of that. He, doesn't, he just says, I'm a voice. I'm nothing. I'm just a voice. All I am is one who is just speaking a message, I'm a voice of one crying in the wilderness. James Montgomery Boyce said, you, you, you cannot, no, I'm sorry, Arthur Pink said, you cannot see a voice, you can only hear it. No one looks much at the workman who is only preparing the road for the coming of the king. Yet this is what John the Baptist declared himself to be, a voice and a workman. The last thing in the world that he wanted was for men to look at him. He said elsewhere, he, Jesus, must become greater and I must become lesser. He must increase and I must decrease. Jesus wanted men to forget him and see only the king. And that was where he was at. I'm just, just a voice. You can't even see a voice. I'm just I'm giving a message. That's all I am. I'm the voice. You look and here John the Baptist is and he knows I've just come to prepare the way of the Lord. I'm just a voice. I want to point you to Christ. It is such a healthy thing for us to have a right view of God. Just to have a right view of him. To look at him as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. To look at him as the one who created all things. I mean, you go through scripture and you see him just speak things into existence. 
you look and, and, and you, you see him as the one who is holy, the one in whom angels are given wings to cover their faces lest they, they see him. And, and, and this God in, in whom trans, he's transfigured and he shines like the sun, one in whom Moses have to, has to be hidden in the cleft of the rock so that he can only pass, God passes by and he just sees his, his, his backside as he goes by. One in whom his eyes are like a flame fire and, and his mouth, his mouth is like a two-edged sword. One who, who refers to his wrath as the fierceness of the wrath of Almighty God. One who determines where we will spend eternity. One in whom has perfect love and is sovereign over all things, who is almighty, who is all-powerful, who is all-good, who could be at all places at all times, who could give total and complete attention to us as we're here this morning as we pray to him. At the same time, he could give complete attention to the person who is praying in China or to the millions of people who are praying in other parts of the area, I mean, world. And you just think of the power of almighty God and who he is and you, you, you look at us, and it's, it's no wonder that John the Baptist would say something like, I'm just a voice. I'm nothing. For us to have a proper view of ourselves and to not think highly of ourselves, it's just critical that we have a proper view of God. You, you think of the, the Apostle Paul and the way that he refers to himself. In Ephesians 3, he says, I'm less than the least of all the saints. If you take all the Christians, I'm, I'm less than the least of all of them. He refers to himself as the chief of all sinners. Here it is, the Apostle Paul, who has written just a huge portion of the New Testament. And when he refers to himself, he looks at himself, I'm just, I'm like, I'm nothing. I'm nothing. And that's where John the Baptist is. I'm just the voice, the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Why would he be crying in the wilderness? Why not crying in the temple? Because Israel had become spiritually barren. John the Baptist was not a part of the Pharisees or the Sadducees or the scribes. He wasn't a part of the the Sanhedrin. All of these people, all of that, that religious sect had become so self-righteous, so proud. They were elitist. They, they didn't know God. They thought that they were without sin. God said that they were like whitewashed sepulchers or coffins. They were clean on the outside, but inside they were full of dead men's bones. They were legalists, and they had failed to know the heart of God. And he's saying, I'm just a voice, and I'm, I'm crying in the wilderness. I'm just the voice of one Crying in the wilderness. I'm, I'm not a part of that. I'm on the outside. And I'm just, I'm saying make straight the way of the Lord. I, I just, I, I'm here to be a voice to point you to Christ. My heart, my passion isn't about me. It's not about my ministry or my disciples or how many I've baptized or how big my following is. I just... All I care about is that I point you to Christ. I I just want your hearts prepared for the Messiah who is to come. He sees these guys coming who are those that would carry themselves as far as, I thank you that I'm not like other men. 
tax collectors and sinners, the Pharisees that would carry themselves in such a way as we are up here and everybody else is down here. And John the Baptist looks at them and he goes, you, you brood of vipers, you, 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 you guys are a bunch of snakes. He just sees right through them and says, I'm not a part of that. I, I am just a voice. And I'm trying to get you to prepare your hearts for the Messiah who is to come. Just a voice. In verse 24, he goes on and he says, Now those who were sent were from the Pharisees. And they asked him, saying, Why then do you baptize if you are not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? Why, why are you baptizing people then? And John answered them, saying, I baptize with water. But there stands one among you whom you do not know. I baptize with water. But there's one that stands among you. And you don't even know him. He points them right back to Christ. The biggest issue isn't why am I baptizing? Why am I calling people to repentance? The biggest issue is there is one who is among you. And you don't even know him. The creator of the universe, the one who spoke all things into existence, the holy God who will judge the world, you don't even know him. You don't know him. It is he who comes after me. It is he who coming after me is preferred before me, whose sandal strap I'm not worthy to loose. There's one that you don't know. He's preferred before me. And I'm I'm not even worthy to untie his sandal. To untie a sandal would be thought of as like the lowest of the lowest slaves. Things recorded that like a, a teacher was not allowed to ask any of his students to, to untie his sandal. It, it was the most menial of all jobs. To untie a sandal, to wash their feet. You, you, you would never do that. And, and here John the Baptist is saying, okay, it's not about me, it's about him. He's preferred before me, and I, I'm not even in a place where I'm worthy to unstrap his sandal. It's not about me. It's not about my position. It's not about my following. It is about him. I'm pointing you to Christ. I'm pointing you to him. I'm not even worthy to unstrap his sandal. What an incredible view John the Baptist had of Christ. He says, these things were done in Bethabara beyond the Jordan, where John was baptizing. The next day, verse 29, John saw Jesus coming towards him. And he says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin 
of the world. There's those that look at this and, and, and think that Jesus, based upon the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, you look and, and they, they say Jesus would have just come out of his 40 days in the wilderness. So Jesus would have just been in that place of being tempted for, for 40 days. They're fasting for 40 days. They're being in a place where Satan is saying, turn the bread or the stone into bread or jump off the pinnacle. Temptation that's coming his way and now Jesus comes. After being there in the wilderness, John the Baptist is one that's the voice that's crying in the wilderness and here Jesus comes possibly just right after those 40 days. And here he comes and John the Baptist sees him coming. And as he sees him coming, he says, Behold, look at him. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Behold, the Lamb. You can think of so many different ways in which John the Baptist could have referred to Jesus as he was coming. Behold, the Son of God. Behold, the, the mighty God is coming. Behold, the, the all-powerful one. Behold, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. Behold, look at him, and yet the Holy Spirit inspires John the Baptist to see him coming. And he says, Behold, the Lamb of God. For anybody that would have been there listening, what would they think about when they think of a lamb? Think of this, this little animal that is somewhat pathetic, can't do anything to defend itself, is there and is, is vulnerable, not Smartest of all of the animals, rather the contrary, one in whom needs a shepherd to guide it, to lead it, wherever it is. But that's not his point. His point is bringing them to the point of looking and seeing he is the Lamb of God. The Jew listening to this would have thought of Abraham and him offering up Isaac, where there they go up on the mountain. Isaac says to his father, My father, Abraham says, here I am, my son. And then he looks and says, look, the fire and, and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, my son, God will provide himself the lamb for a burnt offering. He'll provide himself a lamb. They would have thought of that lamb. Abraham, Isaac, there. Where's the lamb? Where is the lamb? God will provide himself a lamb. Or... In Exodus, where there's the, the Passover, and God says, get a lamb without blemish, male of the first year, take it from the sheep or from the goats, and, and, and then take some of the blood and put it on the doorpost and on the lintel of the houses. Put, put, put the blood on the doorpost. When I see the blood, I'll pass over. Take a lamb without spot or blemish or anything. Take it and sacrifice it and take the blood and put it on the doorpost. They would have thought of 
all of the sacrifices that were taking place on a daily basis of the lambs that were, that were slaughtered. Maybe they would have thought of Isaiah 53 and the prophecy that was given of Messiah who was to come, saying he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before his shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. That's what John the Baptist is thinking of when he sees Christ coming, when the Holy Spirit inspires him to say what he says. He sees Christ coming and his response is, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The reason why he would say that is because that is what we need most. And for us as, 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 as sinners who are in desperate need of grace, what we need most is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. These guys would have been looking and saying, no, we want someone that's going to take over the Roman Empire. We want someone that's going to establish a kingdom right now. We want someone that's going to end the suffering that we're dealing with. We're, we're under them and it's oppressive and we don't like this and here's all that's taking place. We want someone that's going to change all of that for us and make everything better. And there's people that are just like that today. They look and they say, I don't like my circumstances right now. I'm going to go and I'm going to, I'm going to spend time with God because I'll go to church. I'll do those things because I want my health back or Maybe it'll help my business, or, or maybe it'll help me feel better about myself, or maybe it'll help in, in some other area. Maybe it'll make my family stronger. Maybe it'll make all of these things better. And, and Christ surely is able to do all of those things, but that's not our greatest need. Our greatest need is to go to him because he's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The greatest need for us is to go to him because he's the, the one in whom is the lamb without spot or blemish or any such thing. He is the sacrifice that takes our sins upon himself and gives us his righteousness. He's the lamb of God who was slain for us that takes away our sins, removes our sins. That's the biggest problem that we have is our sin, not our current situation. Our biggest problem is we need our sins removed. We need to be made holy. We need to be able to be brought into the kingdom of God, and we need to be clothed with robes of righteousness that are foreign to us, that are not our own. That's what we need the most. And so when John the Baptist sees him coming, it's just, behold the lamb. Look at him. The lamb possibly coming right out of the temptation that he had faced in all of those, those days of, of fasting, coming in, and the first thing is just, he's the lamb. Right there at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, his earthly ministry, and he's there and he's about ready to do all kinds of miracles and to teach in ways that they had never heard before, work in just incredible ways of, of, of multiplying fish and loaves, and he's about ready to go and, and heal sick, raise people from the dead, make people who are blind able to see, make people who are mute able to talk, make people who are deaf able to hear, make people who are lame able to walk. He's about ready to calm the sea, and he's about ready to do all kinds of things that pe makes people say, like, no one ever has talked like this, and no one has ever done anything like this. But he is coming down, and as he's coming down there for his earthly ministry, the first thing that is said is, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The most important thing when we think of Christ is he is our Savior. He is our substitution. He is the one without spot or blemish who is going to have his blood shed for the remission of our sins. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins 
of the world. In verse 30, it says, This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who is preferred before me. For he was before me. I did not know him, but that he should be revealed to Israel. Therefore, I came baptizing with water. I'm just paving a way. I'm just, I'm, I'm a road maker. I, I'm just here. I want to bring you to Christ. May that be who we are. May, may we have a heart that is like that. May, may we have a heart that looks and says, it's not about me. It's not about you. It's not about what we've achieved or how great things are for us or where we are financially or where we are as a family or where we are as far as our appearance or any of those things. We are all about saying, like, can we just make a road for people to come to know Christ? I just want them to see him. I just want them to see him. We're intentional about that as a church. Our, our, whole, our whole reason for being here this morning is that you would seek Christ and esteem him greatly. So it's our, our whole point in this. Everything that we do here on Sunday morning is to point you towards him. Honestly, from the call to worship at the very beginning, it's, let's just read from God's word. This is who he is, and let's just prepare our hearts to see him and to worship him. The whole point of, of the songs that are sung is to point you towards Christ. It's to point you towards him. It's, it's the reason why we're here. I'll tell you, like, you, you have some of these guys that are just they're incredible on the drums, or they could play the bass, or you, you have Matt who plays guitar, others that play the piano. You have some that, like, like Pastor Jeff Paisano, could play the sax in just incredible ways, and then he could play like almost every other instrument. I mean, just incredible musicians who are here. And, and part of what we talk about is, okay, let, let's, let's not have it be where our worship is done in such a way that you as the congregation leave saying, man, that guy rips on the sax. Did you hear that? Or did you hear her voice? Oh, man, that solo, that solo was just incredible. I mean, who sings like that? I, our, our point is to have it be where we sing in such a way that you are able to participate. Not that there's never going to be a solo or anything like that, but if you've been here for any length of time, you know that the majority of the time, no one leaves this place going like, that guy rips on the guitar. Did you see that? Did you say what he did? I mean, oh man, he should be in a band. Our goal is not that. Our goal is that you would hear the worship and your response would be, I love him. I love Christ. I love him. The preaching of the word as we go through. Please know like, <laughs> you do, you know. When I study, it's not about how can I have them know a whole lot about me and my family? I want them to think I'm funny. I want them to think I tell good stories. I want them to, I don't care. I, I, I'll insert them every once in a while just for the sake of like giving you a recess for like 10 seconds so that you can come right back with me to the text. But honestly, it's what does this say? What does the text say? And the whole point of the text is to point you to Christ. 
The whole point of the text is to bring you to a place of Christ and him crucified. The whole point of the preaching of the word is to bring you to a place of, I love him. I just love him. He, he took my sins away. He gave me his righteousness. He's all-powerful and he's sovereign over all things and I can trust him. And he's working in me to mold me and to shape me into who he's calling me to be. And he's sufficient for that. And he began a good work and he'll be faithful to complete it. And he'll never leave me or forsake me. And he's going to keep me to the very end. And I'll spend eternity with him and I'll give him all the glory. So that it's not centered upon yourself, but it's centered upon Christ. That you would come to a place of just worshiping him. It's the whole point. I mean, as we prepare sermons, whether it be here or in the youth ministry or in the children's ministry or the young adults ministry or men's ministry or women's ministry or Whatever it is, it is all to point you to Christ. We just want you to see him. So that your response would be, I love him. I just adore him. Our whole point is to make a path and just take you on the path as we go through God's word so that you can look and say, I treasure him above all things. I saw him. I see what he's done for me. I see all that he's accomplished for me, and I love him above all things. And, and I look, and I see, I see people where you're struggling with sin. You're struggling with temptation. You're looking, and you, you have a desires to go towards the things of the world. You have a desire to do things like the world does. You have a desire to fall into all kinds of different sin, whether you are here in, in junior high or high school or whether you're in your senior years there's sin and temptation that comes to us from all directions and i look and i know you know what's right you just you you just need to esteem him more than the junk of the world and the only way that you can esteem him more than the junk of the world is for us to say he is preferred before us and we are not even worthy to unstrap his sandal but look at him just look at him Look at the one in whom you'll spend eternity with. Look at the one who was nailed to that cross and took your sins upon himself. Just look at him. See him so that the things of this world grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Just look at him so that so that, that girl or that guy or that, that on the internet or, or the temptation to lie or the temptation to steal or the temptation to do everything else would just become rubbish to you in comparison to his excellencies and we just point people to him and may we do that may we pave ways for people so that as you go about your life and you're around unbelievers and they see you and they see you make decisions where you say no i don't want to do that i'm not going to do that i don't want to do that and they look and say why would you not do that why wouldn't you do that it's so good it's so tempting it looks so great and you look and say like no Because I treasure Christ more than that. I treasure him more than any of those things. I just want to please him. He says in his word, this, therefore I want to do that. Because I love him more than my flesh. And I love him more than I love you. I love him more than anything on this planet. I love him. And to just pave ways for people to see and say, like, that person genuinely believes what God says in his word. God, that person knows God in a way that I didn't know because I've never seen him like that. And we just pave the way for people to come to Christ. May we do that. May people who are in our lives and who are around us, may unbelievers look at us and just look and say, that person has paved a way for me to come to Christ. May that be our heart. John the Baptist is just going about proclaiming the gospel, calling people to repentance, but he's just a voice. 
crying out in a very dark place. Prepare the way of the Lord. Look at him. I want you to see him. Let me move these rocks. Let me move these things. Maybe make it flat because he's coming. And I just want you to see him. That is our point as we are here. When we close with three songs in our service, you may look and say, like, why did they close with three songs? Man, seriously, like people have things to do. We have places to go. I mean, like, what church closes with three songs? I mean, it's just weird. Never been to a church that closed with three songs. I look and there's a reason. There's a reason. The reason is because after seeing him and seeing the glory of our Savior and just feasting upon what he has accomplished for us and all that he will do for us for all eternity and what he has done for us who deserve none of it, we just think that one song leaves you wanting. We would be here all day, but for the sake of time, we only do three songs, but three is good. Just worship him. Let's just sing. Let's just sing praises to him. I'll tell you, like, people will say, what's your greatest joy as a pastor? What's just your greatest joy? What do you love the most about being a pastor? And my answer is always the same. My greatest joy is after the service, listening to our congregation worship. Greatest joy I have. It's my greatest joy. My greatest joy is seeing people who came in first and had such a pathetic and small view of God. And over weeks, months, Years, they just, they worship him with all that is within them. Because they see him to be treasured above all things. May that be us. May we just treasure him, come to him, see him, and respond in a way that is just worship and adoration. In verse 32, he And John bore witness, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and he remained upon him, referring to Christ's baptism. I didn't know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, Upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. John the Baptist is just looking and saying, God told me. You're going to see the Holy Spirit descending like a dove upon him. He's the one. And John said, I saw that. I was there. I saw the Holy Spirit come upon him. I saw that. And I testify to you that he is the Son of God. That's what he is. And you know he believed that to his death. He had a passion for for holiness. He had a passion for Christ. He had a passion for the things of God, even to where he spoke out against Herod and and, and the the sexual impurity that was taking place within their household and said, this is wrong to where, what does Herodias ask for? I want the head of John the Baptist. I I want his head. He went to his death just saying, Christ means everything to me. Proclaiming God's word means everything to me. Sexual purity in that within the house means everything to me. 
I will say what needs to be said because it matters, because it's God's word, it's his character, it's who he is, it's what matters. And so this means everything to me. And so he just says it and says it as it is, and it ends up costing him his head. But of all those that live, there was none like John the Baptist. Again, verse 35, the next day John stood with two of his disciples And looking at Jesus as he walked, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. He's just pointing people to Christ. Two of John's disciples that are there, and they just there, and they they hear what is said. Behold, the Lamb of God. And their response is, John, thank you. I'm going to follow him now. I'm going to follow him. And they go towards Christ. May that be our testimony. May that be our witness. May we live in such a way that people hear what we say and see how we live and hear the message that's been given and what God has placed in us and they hear it and they respond with, I just want to follow him. I want to follow him. What a savior we serve. He's worthy of our adoration. Amen. Let's come before him in prayer. Lord God, we, we adore you. We adore you. John the Baptist was able to see you in, in such a way that he desired to be a voice crying out in the wilderness and just proclaiming the message that you had given him. He gave up his head for the sake of righteousness. And yet he had not even seen you die on the cross. You'd be spit upon, had your beard plucked out, being nailed to the cross with the crown of thorns on your head and having been whipped with the cat of 39 tails. He didn't hear you say things like, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He wasn't there in the early church where the Holy Spirit was given to the church and the way that you worked. He didn't see what took place when you rose again from the dead and you conquered sin and death and you appeared before the disciples and before the 500. He didn't see any of those things and yet he gave everything to you. May we see you in the entirety of scripture. And may we go from this place saying to those that are around us, behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. May it affect us in such a way that it changes everything about how we live and the way that we make paths for people to come to you. Make us, Lord, a Christ-centered church, a Christ-centered people, people who are just pointing people constantly to our Savior and whom we adore and whom we love. And may we now, as your people, rise up and just sing with all that is within us, for you have saved us. And have made us your people. We praise you this morning in Jesus' name. Amen.